Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. Today we're kicking off 2020, season seven. Can you believe that? We're up to season seven. We've been going, this, this will be the fourth year now the podcast's been running. That is pretty, pretty wild. And tonight is going to be pretty interesting because I've also, Santa was very generous to me at Christmas time and he gave me a Roadcaster Pro uh, podcasting desk, which means I get to play all the music, all the jingles, do all that stuff live and it should save me a bunch of time in post. But this is the first time I'm trying to use it live, so uh, just bear with me if it does go off the rails, but I will do my best to make sure it doesn't go too far. So kicking things off for 2020, I thought no one would be better to talk to than the captain of the 2019 ABA winning team, Butcher's Axe. So we're going to get to him shortly, but uh, it won't be too long at all because I'm going to run to the next jingle right now. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Michael, mate, how are you? Ben, awesome, mate. Awesome, how are you? Mate, I'm very good. How was that little uh, intro there? Was that not too rough? I know, it was pretty good. It was good. I love being live. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, you are live. It's, uh, It's fantastic. So, mate, how has the silly season been for you? Mate, I've put on a few kilos. I ate a lot of barbecue. I ate a lot of non-barbecue foods as well. Um, but, yeah, it's been been a lot of good fun. So caught up with the boys a few times and, yeah, really got a lot out of it. Beautiful. And did, did Santa bring you any nice new shiny barbecue toys? Uh, I think over the last however many years we've been doing this, Santa's exhausted all the toys that I need. So I actually got given a few other non-barbecue related toys. I got a, um, a pasta maker attachment. So I started making some fresh pasta sheets and trying my hand at those sorts of things. Oh, but I did actually, I did, I got a grinder attachment as well to make sausages. So ah, I there you I go. haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't tried that yet, but I will. Mate, I'm actually, uh, first of all, I'm really glad to hear that you did get that. Um, my dad bought me for Christmas last year, he bought me a grinder and I love it. But just today, I've actually had to pack up about a garbage bag and a half of uh, minced brisket um, offcuts out of the freezer. My, the freezer in my laundry died. And, oh, no. uh, yeah, we, we didn't work it out until we started smelling this funny smell. And uh, we, we went in there and, of course, water all over the floor, a few chunks of ice, meat was just gone off. And so, yeah, two full garbage bags of meat I just had to throw out just about an hour ago. Heartbroken. That would- that would be absolutely heartbreaking. Hopefully it was all just off guts and nothing, uh, no competition style brisket sitting in there pre-trimmed and waiting for the next comp. Not brisket, but there were some chicken thighs. Oh, that, that's not too bad, but the prep on those can be pretty painful. <laughs> yeah, the, the cost is low, but the, the time investment's high. Yeah, not if don't like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, mate, you have got to be absolutely riding high right now. You've cleaned up 2019. How does that feel? Um, it was super surreal throughout the season. Um, and leading into the end of the year, there was a bit of anxiety around, would we actually finish first? There was teams creeping up behind us and a few big competitions looming. Um, but the day that we worked out, it was mathematically impossible for anyone to jump us was, uh, it was pure elation. Um, we haven't really come down from it. We've just been so excited ever since. 
Absolutely. So uh, I guess my question then is sort of what went into into securing the championship? Um, so probably in December of the year before, so uh, 2018 or January 2019, uh, Sash, Sam and I, um, the main team members, met up and thought, what are we going to do differently this year to ensure we can – um, do a bit better, so always looking to improve. And a few things we identified was we wanted to be more organised than we ever had been. Uh, we wanted to make sure we had the right team members and the right uh, resources in terms of people who could come and um, come to various comps because we're finding it's a little bit hard with only two people, sometimes three. Um, uh, and then also we decided to uh, focus a lot on investing time in uh our families when we weren't doing barbecue. So it meant when we were going off to do barbecue, we felt as though it was more of a privilege and something that we could actually really, really enjoy. And our families didn't mind us doing it so much either. So it really worked as um, for everyone involved. Yeah, I think the first time I caught up with you in 2019 was, it was early on, I think it was February down in Hobart. And I could tell back then that you guys had flipped a switch. There was a, there was a definite sort of, uh, just sort of change in general sort of um, sort of attitude and approach to the competitions. I could I could feel that you decided this was your year. Yeah, I remember that. It was um, it was good weather that weekend, um, and the, the day we spoke, we were a little bit dusty um, on hand in turning day. Um, we, had a, <laughs> we had a big one the night before, but um, yeah, we really what we decided was being prepared wasn't just having your meat prepped before a comp or it wasn't just having your times done but it was also having all your sauces pre-mixed all your rubs pre-mixed all your brines pre-mixed um having everything already ready so when you get there all you have to focus on is following the plan and cooking it right and then making sure you make as little mistakes as possible it kind of sounds like you're talking about a about a like a mindset shift almost it really was we we were really kind of um fed up with uh, making mistakes ourselves. One of those things was due to a lack of sleep we, we identified. So it was we'd sort of stay up all night together, have a few drinks and, and enjoy the atmosphere, uh, all go to bed at the same time and then all wake up at the same time. And what that meant was we weren't actually getting the most sleep that we could. So we the first big change we made was we actually started sleep, uh, sleeping in shifts so old Sammy loves a bit of a day drink. Um, I'm more of a <laughs> nighttime, nighttime guy myself. So he doesn't mind um, on, on a Saturday having a few beers during the day and then hitting the hay early, whereas I sort of like to be up a bit later usually. So we sort of get the same amount of sleep in the end, but that was really the big change for us was was getting a huge amount of sleep. Sounds like Sammy and Al from the Flaming Mongrels might get along well. Oh, they def- they do. They do. <laughs> yeah, they do. And Bretto and I get along well too, so it's a dangerous combination. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, okay, so that was Hobart and you'd, you, you'd had your mindset change and you'd, uh, you'd uh, made a couple of other changes there that, that you're mentioning. Where did you go from there? Because you I, – I don't want to say you were um, not – I don't want to say that you were expecting it when I called your name for grand champions, but you also didn't seem surprised. Like you knew that you'd sort of set everything in place. So where did you go from there from that weekend? Um, I think, I think what it was, was um, we had 
in that comp there, we received, I think it was three first places and a second or something along those lines. Oh, yeah, you um, killed it. You absolutely killed uh, it. And so when we heard um, uh, we heard RGC get called and it wasn't us and we hadn't been called before that, I sort of, we sort of knew that we had it there. Oh, um, okay. And oh, at least you, we didn't hear our name for chicken, which is <laughs> <laughs> daunting. You think, how bad can I have bombed this? Um but then, yeah, then from there, um, we actually had three comps. So we had a comp before the week before that, a local comp, a KCBS comp, which we uh, GC'd. Then we went to Hobart. And then the next week, we had uh, the Masters of Q Invitational Competition in Melbourne, which was uh, an interesting concept uh, where it was basically an even playing field with um, I think it was 16 in the end um, of the best teams from around the country got together, even meet, even amount of money to spend on the same sources and rubs. Um, but to be fair, coming off the back of two GCs and knowing we had our timing, we wanted to prep. So we prepped pretty hard for that one too. We couldn't prep the meet. So we prepped our schedule. We prepped our plan on how, what rubs and sources we wanted and how we're going to spend the money. Um, our, you know, again, our sleep, what equipment we're going to use, um, what little advantages we could use with what was in the pantry and what different woods we could use. And so really the prep going into that was was interesting. Um, but we, we, we certainly didn't think we were going to win that one. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, with the calibre of teams that was there, uh, and again, didn't hear our name for the first few, I don't think. I think we're just outside of the top five, uh, and then we came in with a, with a, I think it was like three call ups, um, and then the GC of that too, and that was that was unbelievable at that stage. Three in a row was something we never we didn't dream of winning one GC ever, but three in a row was crazy. Yeah, I think that might have been a um, been an Australian first too. Three in a row. Could have been. I think in the past maybe it's it would equal. Um, it was across two sanctioning bodies. So whether people want to debate that or not, but it was three sanctioned GCs in a row at that stage, yeah. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. Now, I, I just wanted to just um, circle back to that, uh, uh, what was the name of that competition from, uh, from Q Club? Uh, Masters of Q. Masters of Q, that was it, yeah. I, I keep confusing that with Q in the club, which is just an SCA comp, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Masters of Q, that was a really interesting concept. Now, you mentioned that it was an equal playing field. For people who aren't familiar with that competition, can you give us a bit of a rundown on on how Andrew set that up all for you? Yeah, so effectively there were, uh, I think it was 16 teams in the end, uh, and then what, what they did was they gave you a, a bit of an allowance, sort of controlling how much money you had, uh, and what your allowance went towards was um, – the, the box of meat you were going to buy and all the boxes were different. They had different cuts in there. They had different, um, so they all had a brisket, but then in terms of the pork, some may have had collars, some may have had a shoulder, you know, in terms of lamb, some may have had cutlets, some may have had shoulders, some may have had ribs, whatever it may have been. Um, and then they let you inspect. Um, so it's kind of like a Japanese fish market, I think someone said, where <laughs> you... <laughs> Where you're sort of in there and you're, you know, throwing the styrofoam lids everywhere. I was actually at a house auction on the same weekend um, for my, myself. So I missed out on the auction. But Sam um, and Sash had their little notepad and we, had, we were all prepped. We knew what we wanted to do. So they went in there. Um, and our goal was to to 
get four out of the five cuts we wanted, um, which we did, uh, and try and spend no more than whatever you know we thought was a reasonable amount. And then the balance of what you're left over after you bought your box, so you, you're bidding against people. Mm-hmm. You know, some people went really hard on you know spent a lot on the meat, uh, but then after that. Uh, the, the rest was left to spend on sauces and rubs. And then there was a pantry as well with things like sugar and honey and vinegar and all those sorts of things. Um, just, I don't think that there may have been stock. I don't, anyway, whatever it was. But And then what you did was you effectively, you all had the same choice of meat. You were restricted to what um, sauces and rubs you could, could use in injections uh, and the, the quantity too based on how much money you had left over. Um, and then it was just go for your life and, and cook it and hand it in. So was that was that real money that you had to bring with you, and I'm and I'm assuming everybody had the same cap, or was it like Cav Cash? Andrew yeah, Kavanagh yeah. just sort of gave you a bunch of Monopoly money when you walked in the door. Um, it was Cav Cash. Ah, okay. Yeah. I think I, from memory, maybe entry was a little bit more than a normal comp, but that would be expected with um, being provided the meat and the sauces and rubs, um, and then. We've actually still got our calf cash. We um, we found it the other day in the bottom of a comp box when prepping for next year or for this year. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have uh, said that, mate. You could have snuck it in your pocket for Masters of Q this year. Mate, we uh, we hope we're invited. That's all. We just hope we get an invite. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, honestly, I would be shocked if the 2019 champions didn't get an invite. <laughs> Likewise, mate. I think a few people would be too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was next then after Masters of Q? Um, so Masters of Q was crazy. Um, and then we had a, I think it was a couple, maybe could have been a few weeks break, maybe three weeks. And then we went straight into Meat Stock Melbourne, which is our, was our first competition three years before that. That's when you and I met in person. Yep. That's one of my uh, favorite comps, time. that one. Yeah. Likewise. I, I really enjoyed that one, um, back then and then have been ever since, uh, and then we went and did that. We opted, which we have been doing lately, is not to do the SCR on the Saturday and sort of use that as a day of um, uh, recreation and sort of enjoying each other's company and just relaxing. Uh, we had our families there and it was, you know, a lot of fun. And then Saturday night rolled around and when we should have been prepping, um, the party continued. And before you knew it, it, um, it was early hours of the morning and we still hadn't injected any of our meat, put anything in the brine, followed the plan. So it was, it was an interesting one, that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, got around to it, finally got everything done. Um, Mick from Full Throttle Barbecue tried to um, tried to um, handicap us by um, offering us a few drinks from when they won Brisket Kings at Port Macquarie the year before. Oh, that giant uh, chest full of whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Mick, Mick did his best. Um, and then the next day, although um, although we were a little bit behind on schedule, um, the cook actually, it went it went quite well. Uh, we were, we, you know, a little bit disappointed in a few things, um, but the cook went fairly according to plan. Um, and... Um, we were exhausted, emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted at the end of the, after the turn-ins and sort of a bit deflated because we, you know, made a few, few mistakes. Um, but then when results happened and, um, and, you know, we, we got our first meat stock trophy, we'd never got one before that, just even for a call up, we got three, um, and then announced GC, uh, which was three for three in the ABA and four in a row for that year. 
and got a standing ovation from the crowd. It was that was probably the highlight um, highlight of the year for for us. Oh, it'd have to be winning meat stocks. Got to be sort of the the jewel in the crown. I reckon that. Now, although like the Invitational would be up there as well, I suppose, but I mean, really, like in just in terms of scale and grandiosity, you know, yeah. getting up on that stage in front of that huge crowd at Meatstock, like it's it's got to be wild. You know what, Jay Jay does an amazing job um, at running those events, putting on a spectacle, getting the crowd. Well, I was lucky enough to go down to go up to Meatstock Sydney um, later that year. Um, to see it, and that was again insane. And but to be there, to win it, it's coveted. It's something everyone wants. Is a meat stock GC, um, and just to get it, yeah, it was it was surreal. It was it was a highlight. Sam and I, we'd been working on that since effectively day one. That wasn't our goal. We never we never set out to really win. We just wanted to do better. But we wanted one trophy at meat stock and. When we got one, they happened to get a fair few in a row, and the GC as well, which was amazing. Yeah, I I still remember meeting you face to face. We had spoke on the phone before that, um, Meatstock 2017, and back then, as you said, that was your first competition. But you guys still got callouts at your very yeah. first ever competition, which was a huge Meatstock. Yeah, it was. You know what? It was. I remember t- <laughs> this. This haunts me, right? Um, back then. Uh, speaking to you on the phone because we did the interview before, during and after. And on the phone before, um, I can't remember what I called Sam, whether I called him the brisket king or the brisket whisperer or something like that. I said, you know, I kind of... Um, I think it was the best a, brisket cook in Australia. That's, see, you've got a good good memory. That It was. It was the best brisket cook in Australia. And back then it was tongue in cheek, but... He took that so seriously since then, um, and we got a fourth place call out at our first competition for brisket, and then went and backed it up in Adelaide a few months later and got our first trophy ever, which was second place brisket up in Smoke in Adelaide. So, your interview sparked him to actually want to live up to the name. Look, whether he's lived up to the name or not, I mean, we've got a few trophies for brisket, but he's uh, he, it certainly lit a fire up lit a fire up him that's for sure <laughs> well I'm I'm glad I could help in in, in some way <laughs> no mate it's all you it's it's, it's been <laughs> I, I would say it's all me definitely not definitely not but I do appreciate it so uh so meet stock Melbourne where'd you go after that oh I'm just trying to think now so meet stock Melbourne we then had um a l- little bit of a break um the year before we'd won uh, round in the heat uh, in the pitmaster series here in Melbourne. So they had a, a series of comps where six teams went up against each other. The winner of each comp then met in the final um, with a few wildcard entries in the final. So we'd won that series um, back in November the year before. So we got into the final, which was in June. Um, we um, came runner-up in that to our mates Ross and Boomer and their lovely partners as just Sneens was their team name. And um, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was a really good good vibe, good good event. And then our next sanctioned comp after that was uh, Meet Meet, where, again, you and I bumped into each other uh, in Horsham. Oh, right. So that was, that was quite a bit of a break then. I think Meet Meet was August. Yeah, so it was, I think it was four months. So I think we ran a class in between and – 
we used that class as a bit of a practice cook. Um, and so the class was, it was, either, I think it was two weeks before meet meet. So we um, dusted all the cobwebs off. We, I think we had about 40 people at the class and we sort of just showed them um, all our comp techniques and flavor profiles and all that sort of thing. But really it was just a good practice for us leading into meet meet. Yeah. And you got that, that huge fire pit uh, trophy too. Yeah, that was crazy. Meat Meat was uh, the phys- most physically demanding, emotionally exhausting comp we had done for the year. Um, we we cooked we cooked our heart out. We really wanted that one um, because it was a, a huge comp and it, it would have gone uh, a long way to us um, cementing our position. Um, and yeah, we we GC'd, which again, you know, I, yeah, we we got two perfect scores in the one competition, which for us was, oh, again, we didn't expect to ever win a comp, let alone get more than one trophy, but to then get two perfect scores and get a GC in the same comp um, was was unbelievable. That is that is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, so that, was, that was surreal. That was really surreal for us. And and sort of one of our teammates um, who was there during the day, Justin, one of the original teammates, he actually had to leave early. And I remember... He was after he left straight after the cook, and none of us were very uh, overly pleased with how we went. And I called him afterwards, and <laughs> I said, "Hey, mate, uh, we've actually won, and we actually won the comp." And he he honestly, until I got home and until I sent him the photos of the trophies on the trailer, he he, he honestly didn't believe us. So it was, <laughs> it was, that's how surreal it was. So where does that huge fire pit live now? Uh, sits at, um, at Sasha's warehouse where he runs his business out of. Um, so that's currently sitting in the back corner. We've been waiting for all these total fire bands here in Melbourne to go down and for it to get a bit colder before we can use it. But yeah, we're looking forward to getting that huge trophy out and, and using it. So good, mate. Make sure you send me some pictures. Definitely. Well, well, you could invite you down. You come for the party. Oh, Hey, there you go. There you go. (laughs) So I then saw the axe, um, at, uh, fat drip in October. Had you competed between August and October? I was. Uh, I went to the American Royal with a few mates as the All Stars. Oh yeah, that little trip. Uh, yeah, that little one. And then <laughs> I, um, I I left my wife at home, who was um, about five months pregnant at the time. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to spend some time uh, with family. Um, and Sam. Wilfred and uh, ring in Mick actually decided to go to Fat Trip and try their hand at that. And they cleaned house again. Uh, again, yeah. So I did. We helped. We prepped as we usually did. We premixed all our sauces and rubs before the guys went. Actually, Sam, this one, this one is hats off to Sam. Um, he did almost everything himself for this one. He really wants. He loves. He loves going across the border to Adelaide. We've got a lot of good friends over there. Um, and he did everything and, and, and they pulled it off. It was watching it from home was the first comp for Butcher's Axe I'd ever missed. Um, and it was excruciating watching the results. <laughs> it was, yeah, again, another surreal moment, um, being back in Melbourne, watching the live stream, it dropping out, can't hear the sound, certain things happening. And then all of a sudden you hear them that they've won and making a six in a row. That was, um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the icing on the cake. Absolutely, yeah. Now you may have been nervous watching that at home, but I was watching Sam's face during those presentations, and I, th- <laughs> I think he was more nervous than you were. 
<laughs> he, um, he, what did he say to me before? He says, oh, he goes, look, I just want to, he goes, I just want to get one trophy for Lamb just to say, you know, that we'd, you know, done done well with Lamb using Hunter and we could say that. And they got a first place in Lamb and he messaged me instantly afterwards. He goes, oh, we're done here. I've done I've done what I needed to do or, you know, I've, I've achieved what we, we wanted. Um, but I could tell the way he wrote it, he was he was very nervous. He was still nervous for the other results. And, um, yeah, I, I wish I was there just to, just to see, look at his face because, yeah, he deserved that one. He worked really, really hard and and and, and, and got it. Yeah. Testament to the other boys too, Wilfred and Mick, who put in the hard yards too for that one. Oh, I could tell that uh, that Sam had worked them pretty hard. They all looked pretty tired and dirty by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, they've... Um, there, we're used to having a few more members than three um, and we've got a lot of processes to follow. So it's a lot to do, but you know what? They did it and they did enough to get, to get that, that sixth one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And so from there it would have been on to the invitational. It was, yeah, it was on the invitational. Um, so that was, we had a few months off between that. And then some of us drove, some of us flew um, up to Hawkesbury in or up past Sydney and um, we had, what do we have? We had four of us and our mate Scott um, from Bison Barbecue, ex-Big Smoke Barbecue, um, came and gave us a hand too. So that was a lot of fun. We had a, we had a lot of fun at the invitation. We were, we were in um, a place that was dubbed Mid-Pack Alley. So all the big packers were there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most fun. It was the most fun. We had a few of our Victorian friends there, um, all our other mates there. Uh, really good mates, um, Wizards of Q, Trevor from Aussie Pit Boys. We had Beer BBQ. Who else did we have? We had um, Full Throttle, Liquor Smoke, um, and Forest Lump. And no, none of that sounds like Mid Packer Alley. Do you know what? It's Mid Packer. Maybe Mid Mid Packers the year before. Yeah, Mid-Pack yeah, maybe the year before. before. There's some big names you've just dropped there. Yeah, it's um when you turn an insult into a uh, into a way of life, it's uh, it's pretty gratifying. Oh, so so mid packer is more a mindset than an actual uh, um, like a, a history of performance. Yeah, I, I I'd say so. Yeah, that's 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 what I'd say. We, <laughs> uh, and we um, yeah we had a re- the invitation was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, we got two trophies. We got a fifth place in brisket and a second place pork ribs. Um, pork ribs being one of our most consistent categories of all time. Um, so we're stoked with that. Um, came sixth overall. I think we're like 11 points off GC, something crazy like that. But the top five were one point off each other or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was six points off fifth and then they were for one point off each other or something unbelievable like that. So that was a... A great that was a lot of fun that competition. Um, and sure, it would have been great to win, but um, Gorillas in the Mist, um, they did it there and then they backed it up the week later. Um, at Kangas, at, at Kangas, and you were there as well, but yeah, they they deserve it, they they deserve all the praise they can get. I met Wookie for the first time that weekend, uh, and he's an absolute gentleman, so um, yeah, couldn't be couldn't be happier for him, yeah, fantastic. So I guess that um, that that was your last competition for the season, then. That was our last comp. Yeah, that was our last comp for the year. So, so at at what point did you know that you had it wrapped up? Um, we we knew we had it wrapped up when we turned up to the invitational, and there was X amount of teams there, um, or not 
know more than X amount of teams there. So someone had done the maths and um, there were less teams there than there could have been for anyone to win any more comps or, you know, to actually get us on the the amount of teams they'd beaten to get three GCs. So I think oh, by the wow. end of it, there were, there were four teams, one, two, four, four or five teams in the end that had three GCs for the year or more. Yep. Um, and then after that, the next the next tier down is how many teams you've beaten to win those three GCs. Yeah. Um, and then when, when we rocked up, there were less teams there than um, was required for the next best team or any other team that was a threat to actually beat us overall. So, um, look, maybe we enjoyed – Maybe we enjoyed the invitation a little bit too much and didn't focus as much on the cook as we could have, but <laughs> we, we wouldn't have changed it for the world. We we had an absolute blast on Midpacker Alley. So Yeah, now see, I, I thought you had, had actually wrapped it up earlier in the year than that. So that must have been quite, quite nerve-wracking heading into that competition. And as you said, you didn't know till right before the competition when it was confirmed how many teams were there. That's That's got to have sort of played on the mind a bit. It, it does because it would have been nice to know before we went so that we could have maybe, um, I don't know, maybe taken it a little bit easier on the lead-in and the prep, but we, we, we prepped fully like we would any other comp. Um, and look, not saying that we wouldn't have taken it seriously, but maybe we would have been a little bit more relaxed leading into it. But getting there and seeing that, you know, there was X amount of teams and we'd already had it, that was enough for us to sort of um, let our hair down and, enjoy that beautiful weekend. Um, the Black Bear Boys put on a great event um, and catching up with all our old mates. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. Now, Michael, one thing that I did want to circle back to was you had mentioned earlier the Hunter Rub. Mate, tell us about that because that's been big for you this year. Yeah, so um, leading back to that first comp that uh, we met you at, Meatstock Melbourne 2017, I think it was, um, we, we used to make all our own rubs back then. No no pre-bought rubs. Um, we made a lot of our own sauces from scratch. And one of the ones that we made and, and continued to make was our lamb rub. Um, and, you know, it was one that we'd sort of tweaked over time Uh you know, we tried other combinations of store-bought rubs at times and and always kept coming back to our own own lamb rub. Um, and then it just started to started to perform well on the circuit and a lot of people started becoming curious about it and we started posting about it and before you knew it, we had people asking about it. Um, given barbecues a hobby, it's a little bit hard to get a rub off the ground. So our good mate Scott um, said he was running a business that, you know, would help people get their rubs out and released and distributed and, you know, manufactured. Um, so we jumped on Scott um, on his offer at Stag & Co. And, yeah, it, it sort of blew up. We took us a while to get the recipe down pat because going from small batch to big batch and different supplies of rubs um, of ingredients is quite hard. But once we got there, um, yeah, it, it started flying. Then we had to come up with a name. Um we did that we got the label and then it basically it basically sold a lot quicker than what we thought it ever would so we were kind of left high and dry when we sold out of our rub just before christmas like november um, a few months after we'd made it the first batch and 
sort of had nothing to, nothing to sell to people. <laughs> it was it was a bit of a yeah. It was you know it was great, but it was, it was also stressful to try and get the next batch out again. I was going to say, as far as problems go, there's a lot worse problems to have. Look, it you know it was just another another part of our year that you know we were now looking back on and saying you know that that was absolutely crazy and and at the time yeah it was a bit of stressful a bit stressful but we were stoked you know the reception's been really good yeah mate i um i uh you sent me a bottle of it just a few weeks ago and i tried it on some uh, some little lamb chops there the other day oh, i'm yeah. i'm i'm yet to try it low and slow on uh, on on like a shoulder or something but man it was great on those lamb chops yeah we um we've been eating it at home with the family you know using it at calm um we even cooked a first place duck at Creekside a couple of years ago using it because um, it's got those herby sort of earthy tones to it. So it works well on game meat too. And I mean, people seem to love it. So, you know, we're, we're stoked with the, the reception it's gotten and testament to that. We've now up to our second batch and hopefully just keeps rolling out the door. Yeah, absolutely. So can I ask how big was the first batch? Like, are we talking 5,000 bottles you sold in two months? So like what sort of, what sort of uh, uh, records did you break there? Um, so how many – I don't know exactly, but it could have been – it was in the hundreds of kilos of, of rub. Wow, um, and, nice. And, and the um, the shakers are 165 grams, so I'd have to go back and do that. But, um, yeah, say 300-odd kilos at 165 grams um, and do the math there. Um, it sold out within about three months. Tons. We'll just say it was tons. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was uh, heaps. It was a, it, it was a thousand. <laughs> it was a thousand kilos. We'll, we'll just say that. A ton. Okay. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> That's so good, man. So good. So that was obviously a kind of a kind of came off the back of your success. Was the you you'd sort of raised your profile enough to a point where you could sell a rub. What other opportunities has um, has conquering the twenty nineteen uh, season offered you? Oh, it's um, it's been amazing. So. It's the opportunities to do um, to do classes here and interstate. They've just been coming thick and fast. Um, the opportunities to compete with other teams who you know we're friends with, and or new teams who want to learn from us. Uh, the opportunities to to um, work with our sponsors on bigger projects um, that promote barbecue in Australia, uh, but also you know releasing new rubs into the future. Something that's been requested of us and so there's a lot in it yeah new rubs interesting can you give me any uh, any any exclusives there um we're pretty to be fair we're pretty excited about about these um oh wait 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 wait, wait. let me guess sam is going to make the best brisket rub ever um you said it, not me. So, <laughs> um, Sam, when you hear this, um, Sam, sure you've, got ten, <laughs> you've got ten days. <laughs> you've got ten days. You've got ten days. It's a clock now. Um, yeah. So one of them will be a will be a beef, a beef rub, a brisket rub. Um, oh, I was right. And, or yeah, you 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 are right. It's, a beef rub, <laughs> but, um, it's based off what we use at competition. Um, and we've been tweaking it to get as close as possible as what we're used to using and testing on a few different cuts at home. So we're, we're really excited about that one. And uh, the other one is, um, is still in the works. Um, so that one, we're not, it'll be close. It'll be just behind the beef rub, but it's, um, it, it'll be more of an all purpose rub. And then potentially sometime in the future, we're thinking about maybe 
jarring up and bottling our uh, finishing dust, which is something we've attributed a lot of our success to. Yeah, I've um, I've only just recently heard about finishing dusts. Uh, Smoking Hot Bros brought one out about twelve months ago, and it's uh, it's it's a, it's fascinating. I know I'd, I didn't realise just how many people were doing it, but yeah, it's a it's a cool idea. Well, yeah, Chris Davy, um, who was one of our first brisket mentors back in the day, he was barbecuing well before we or comp barbecuing well before we had even started from Smoking Hot Bros. Um, they did release that, uh, the Vinegar X-Rub, uh, and that was actually one of the – it's it's one of the things that we started playing with before we came up with our final finishing dust, but it was the thing that gave us the idea to get started. So testament to him and, and his experience. Um, yeah, finishing dusts are, are something that you can use at home and also at comp, and we do, so love it. Yeah, I even, um, I even put it on a steak. Not even on a low and slow cut. I um, I grabbed some of the uh, the bull dust, his his black beef rub, and yep. I just I just threw that on some ribeyes and then um, uh, reverse seared them. And when it was done, threw a little bit of finishing dust over it. Beautiful. Just that pop of flavour, yeah. So um, that bull dust, the tried I tried the prototype of that at Port Macquarie in eighteen, and that blew my mind. That's a, that's a great rub. It's up there with some of. Um, Australia's best rubs. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So hunter rub, you've got a beef rub coming out, an all-purpose rub. Man, that's that's so cool. So what else you got planned for – well, n- not what else. We haven't talked about it yet. What have you got planned for 2020? Well, I said before, uh, back in uh, September last year, my wife was um, five months pregnant, but um, she's – we're ready to have our first kid any, any week now. So First kid? Yeah. Oh, so, congratulations. Thank you, thank it's all you. about to change. Yes. I've heard <laughs> this. I've heard this. Um, uh, one of our newer teammates, Wilfred, was um, cooking some chicken today. Uh, he's got a six-month-old and he said that uh, cooking barbecue and looking after a six-month-old at the same time is one of the most challenging things he's ever done. So um, I look forward to that challenge. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I've I've burnt several chickens to a crisp because I because I would have been cooking something and then the kids done something and I've gone to go take care of him and then that gets led to another distraction to another mess to clean up and before you know it you can just smell burning and you run outside and your chickens just in the bin. Especially if you're cooking hot and fast, like that's um, there's no margin for error when it comes to that. So yeah, um, it's, I think it's going to be a lot of um, digital probes outside in the um, in the smokers and a lot of baby monitors inside for me and I'll be sort of running between the two and, and trying to do what I can. So for me, early next year is going to be, um, I'm going to miss out on the first comp. There's going to be one in down here in Victoria and Geelong called Hazy Days where the same three lads who did Fat Drip without me are going to try their hand at that against what seems to be like a decent comp, 40-odd teams I think it is. So which is actually will be doing um, Hazy Days. Very and cool. Then, um from there we go on to Meatstock Melbourne. So it's not too not too dense at the start of the year um, compared to what it was last year. Yeah, you'd sort of knocked over half a dozen by the uh, by by Meatstock last year. Yeah, so part of apart from being really prepared last year, which again we've done this year, we've already um, prepared all of our equipment for the whole year, all of our um, pre-mix a lot of sauces and rubs, and and got our you know. Uh, things in order when it comes to equipment and um and our smokers 
Um, so it's nice and easy to prep and, and pack for a comp. But the other thing was that we got, we, we smashed out a few in a row and got some momentum early last year. So this year we're not going to have that luxury. So we might, for the first time in a long time, maybe do a practice cook in between a few of these comps to just make sure that we're on, on form. Yeah, you don't want to lose too much of that in the uh, in in the off season, so to speak. Yeah, no, the momentum for us last year was a huge thing. We we burst out the gate um, before most teams uh, at a local comp, um, and that sort of you know we got a little bit lucky there. We think uh, our friends at a team called Game of Bones here in Melbourne nearly pinned us. They, they were RGC and they nearly pinned us. I think they were like maybe two points behind us, um, and that was a. You know, it was great to win, but to to not have your best cook means that your next cook you're going to try harder, and your next cook you're going to try harder, and and so hopefully early this year we can keep that momentum going. Yeah, yeah. So does this mean that Willie and Mick are now like full time? What do you call them? Axe members, axe guys, yeah. axe dudes. Uh, we've got a few nicknames. Um, axe holes. Um, axe, axe, axe holes. <laughs> Some of us are axe holes, apparently, <laughs> if you ask certain people. But um, uh, the smoking joint guys like to call us babushkas because back in the day we used to descend in high order from Sam all the way down to our smallest team member. So anyway, we've got a lot, we've got, we've got a lot of nicknames. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so Wilfred... Um, or Big Willie, as we like to call him, he um, he's really stepped up. His first year was last year. He um, did almost every single comp last year, really decided to own his part of the process. So we don't like to split proteins. We like to split processes and, and responsibilities. Um, but not only did he take up his role pretty strong, but he also decided he wanted to um, take carriage of, of our rib category, which is something that we um, really fine-tuned our own method over time. Um, it was a fairly straightforward method to follow. Um, and then he came and he refined it. He actually improved it slightly um, to the point where it was our definitely our most consistent category of 2019. Um, so Willie's really done that. He's, he stepped up into, into what my role ordinarily is, which is, um, apart from all the stuff beforehand, boxing up um, and choosing you know, the most tender cuts and the right slices and making sure that everything's seasoned perfectly. So he's that's going to be his role um, in at the next comp and potentially even going forward. So that's exciting. And then we were fortunate enough that Mick um, said yes to come help at Fat Trip last year. Um, and then somehow, because he had, has, has his own team or had his own team, Westside Smokers, um, Somehow we've convinced him to jump jump ship and and join with us. We you know did anything we could and we got him across. And he's honestly a a, a huge asset to our team. He's a great guy and really gets along with us all really well. So we're super excited to have him on the team. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. So what um what sort of process do you go through when you are looking to add members to a team? Um, before so earlier I said to you that early the year before we had Sash, Sam and I had a conversation about what we needed. Um, even earlier than that, we actually ran a bit of a come and compete with Butcher's Axe type. Um, I guess it was like a class where we said, you know. I was going to say audition, but okay. 
but and that's exactly what it was. <laughs> we, we basically said, you know, it's a private class and we charge people money to come along, but quite literally it was ended up being an audition for people. So of um so of all of the four people um that came and did it with us, two of them joined our team for last year, one being Julian. Um, the other one being Wilfred. Julian had, has had to uh, take a break for a year. He's doing some stuff with work and family and um, he'll be back. He might be back part-time this year, but he'll definitely be back the year after. Um, but Wilfred was a big one of those. And because we only had four spots, the fifth place was actually Mick wanted to actually be, be part of one of those classes. So unfortunately he couldn't. Went and started his own team, um, really went at it. And then because he's a mate of ours. We asked him if he could help us out for fat trip because I wasn't going to be there. Um, and then it was kind of natural from there. We, you know, we kept talking and one thing led to another and it sort of felt like the right thing for everyone to do. And, um, and cause we all get along. It just sort of, it's sort of, this one just sort of happened. The other two were sort of more planned. So you went through a bit of a process and sort of more based on working it, working out who fit in best with the team dynamic. Yeah, like we're um, we're not a we're not a team of individuals at all. We don't no one professes to be amazing at everything. Um, no one no one in our team could do what the whole team does on their own, um, and we know that. And, and that's one of the things that we learned early on is as soon as you can be humble and say I'm not the best at everything, but you're good at this and I'm good at this. Let's try and fill the gaps elsewhere that we're both not good at. Um, and that's where Sash sort of came in early on too. Sash was one of our first team members, but he brought the organisation, which Sam and I are terrible at. And so between those three things and then processes, procedures, flavour profiles, yeah, we sort of built it from there. And, and then we felt like the final thing was just the culture of the team and making sure we only had people that we liked competing with and being around. Absolutely fantastic. That's so cool. So cool. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that sort of really come together for you nicely like that. Yeah, we're um, we honestly couldn't be happier. We we've got a great bunch of guys, and I think we worked out the other day that over time we've either competed with or had competing on our team over fifteen or sixteen people, um, including you know like we had Aussie Pit Boys compete with us at Port Macquarie. Uh, we've had Craig from Sucking Up with Smokers compete with us. We've competed with other teams like um, I competed with Full Full Metal Kettle last year, and between all of that the learning on both sides is invaluable. You pick up tips, you give tips, you build friendships and it's something that really helps um, project you on a, you know, a quicker learning path. That is one thing that I have always really loved about competitive barbecue as opposed to other sports. Like you don't see, um, say, professional jiu-jitsu, which is my other hobby, you don't see professional jiu-jitsu players going up to each other and saying, hey, come learn my tricks. Yeah. And, and then I'll go learn your tricks and then we'll compete against each other. It just and doesn't look, happen. And I'm sure it doesn't. I mean, and there are those who are a little bit more secretive or like to um, compete on their own or, you know, think that they're holding the keys to the secrets um, of, of how to be the best barbecue in the world. But for other people, it's not, a, it's, you know, this is a weekend hobby. None of us are making a living out of this. We're all there to have fun and, and if we can improve and improve as a collective, that's, I think, what everyone wants out of this. Now, that's a philosophy that you've taken beyond just your interactions with other teams. And you you have 
uh, actually mentioned this earlier in the interview, your classes, you actually, from my understanding, I, I haven't attended one, but you, like it's a full competition class. Yeah, it's, um, there's no, look, we, we pride ourselves on no secrets. Um, tent walls are down, well, not down, but it's always open for anyone to come in and have a beer and, and watch what we do at a comp. But also when we run our class and, you know, sometimes I'm a bit disappointed to hear that other people run classes and don't quite, you know, they'll, they'll spruik whatever rub they're, you know, sponsor selling or whatever it is, but we legitimately go out there and we give everything away. We give, you know, from, from go to woe. And if, if it's not what we're actually using, we say, well, this is what we're using today because we want to, but this is what we actually use in competition. And this is exactly how we do it. Um, and what that's actually meant is it's bred um, the class we ran last year, bred some teams not saying just because of us they they worked hard themselves but three out of the top five teams at turf wars last year um which was a competition melbourne 40 50 odd teams or whatever it was um or three out of the top six had you know mates of ours or attended our class or whatever it might be so you know and they're rookie teams are guys who had never really competed before that could have been their second comp so that's that's real testament to 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 them that is, man. That's a very good indicator. Have you got more lined up for 2020? Um, at this stage, um, there's a lot in the pipeline, but no dates locked in. So we hope to we hope to really, um, yeah, hope to get that sorted. Yeah, I'll be I'll be looking forward to hearing more about that very soon. Yeah, hopefully um, within the next month or so, I'll um, we'll, we'll announce some dates and and get that happening. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Alrighty, now for the third segment of the interview. You've mentioned your pork ribs a couple of times, how they're your most consistent category. We've talked about your your classes, how they're no holds barred. Mate, give us a run through. Keep in mind it's an audio format. Be as descriptive as you can with your language. Mate, tell us about your ribs. Well, this is something that we probably posted on our Instagram uh, a year and a half ago now. Um, it's a method that we've been working on for a long time. Uh, so two things two things that are key to our rib process is our Fornetto bullet, so 22-inch 20, Fornetto bullet. Uh, and the other thing is the meat that we get from our butcher, Luke at Kelly's Meats. Uh, I know they sound like shameless plugs, but the truth is, we have not changed that combination since day one and we truly believe that's what's gotten us to where we are. So first of all, consistency, whether you're using a drum or a bullet or an offset, just make sure that you're consistent with the product so you can tweak it to your own times um, and your own techniques. But what we actually do is we like to treat our ribs um, uh, or cook them in a way that gets a, a sweet smoky flavor. That's the profile we go for. So, what we actually do is we start off by uh, we use St. Louis ribs. We go to our butcher and always try and get the fir- first and foremost look for the most marbling in the ribs. Crooked bones is second to marbling. You're rather a moist rib that's on an angle than a dry rib that's straight. So second to that, we look then look for straight ribs. Um, and then we look for ones that are fairly even in thickness to each other. So try and get a, a group of three. Um, or four uh, ribs. So we will probably cook three to four St. Louis ribs for, per comp. Uh, and then what we do is we trim the excess fat off the top. 
and then we remove the membrane from the bottom. One good trick, which we pinched off uh, a mate of ours, Sterling from Lynn Booty. We saw a photo of him doing it, which was using scissors to round out the edges of your pork ribs to make sure that they're nice and they look nice and neat. Um, so trim the fat, make round them out, and then uh, remove the membrane. And then what we do is we actually hang our ribs in our fornetto uh, directly over the charcoal. So straight under the top, the first bone, we pop in some um, hanging hooks. Um, and then what we do is we proceed to rub it. We actually, a bit old school in the sense that we use mustard as a binder on our ribs. Uh, apparently in America, most guys don't do that anymore, but we seem to, to still do it. Um, won't. So with, with our rubs, um, so we'll use um, a base rub, probably something uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, a sweeter rub. So um, one of the ones that we'd love to use mm. is Kirby and Spencer's chicken rub. We also mix in with that uh, a little bit more salt. So we like to have a little bit of a savoury note, but not as much. And then... One of the tips is we'll always add a tiny little bit of um, accent, which is um, uh, MSG, effectively. Uh, so a little <laughs> bit of that. <laughs> so like to um, give it that little bit of depth and pop that that, that, that that gives and nothing else really can. So that'll be our main layer. Uh, then what we'll do is uh, we will hang the ribs in the smoker directly over the charcoal. So what we do is we take the fire basket out, that's not the fire basket, the um, the water pan out, and we effectively cook it at around 275 to 300 directly over the charcoals for, for, 15, for 50 minutes. And what we do is every 15 minutes we give the lid a quarter turn. So we've got timers on our phones, and we, as soon as the time, time goes off, everyone knows clockwise, quarter turn. So whoever's not busy at that time will do it. And what that does is it means if the charcoal down the bottom is burning uneven, so it's gone to one side or to another, all ribs are going to basically get an even coverage of uh, of heat as they go in that time. So you're effectively turning your, your bullet smoker into a drum smoker. That's right. And to our mind, there's not too much difference. Um, you're sure they are different cookers and we've cooked on both. Um, and drums do cook slightly differently, but you can – effectively get the exact same cook out of both um, and, sh- you know, we we don't see uh, any any need to go out and spend uh, lots of money on a drum smoker when you can get, you know, from your local Bunnings uh, or online a, a bullet smoker for effectively a quarter of the price uh, that, that does just as good a job and works well at home too. So... Turning, turning the lid um, directly over. Um, that, when what happens is uh, we spritz it as well every so often. So we'll lift the lid close towards the end of that 50-minute mark and start spritzing. And that actually starts dripping some of the juices off into the, the, the embers and the charcoal, which lets the smoke go up into the ribs. So that's how we get our smoky profile in our ribs. So, so obviously a- by that stage then the, the rub is set. It's not going to sort of wash off with the spritz. Yeah, especially directly over the charcoal, you get to a point where that rub, uh, it becomes a bark. It, it's it, it's not a traditional bark in the sense that you've had a nice airflow, like a brisket over it for a long period of time. It's more like a, uh, a caramelized sugar bark, which you get in drums as well. Um, the, the meat sizzles a little bit 
Um, and it, it, that's why we can use just a sweet rub with a little bit of that savoury note because um, we're going to get more savouriness out of the smoke flavour uh, and caramel depth out of it um, sort of setting on there. Sounds so good. <laughs> oh, it's I, – I wouldn't change – I don't change it for home when I do ribs at home either. So basically turn the lid every 15 minutes um, and then as we're coming up to that 50-minute mark, that's when we start looking for colour. So we look – for us, we, we want to get our, I guess, the bark or, or the caramelization of the sugar in the rub as close to um, as close to caramel as we can before it starts to burn, and it's a very fine line. So what we'll do is we'll have um, our foil set up, ready to go to wrap. So we do double foil, double layered foil for a wrap. In there, we put butter, brown sugar, honey. Uh, and a little bit of liquid, so you could use apple cider vinegar or apple juice, or I mean, we've used anything with soda water. Sometimes we don't, we've forgotten to buy things, but you know, we've used <laughs> <laughs> what do we have? Big red ones. We use that because we're drinking it. Beer, uh, anything works. What you're just trying to do is make sure that you're adding enough liquid that the sugars in the rub and the sugar that you put into the wrap doesn't burn. Um, we made that mistake a few years ago to comp and we've never made it again. So lots of butter, lots of sugar, a little bit of um, liquid. I mean, if you're starting off and you're trying to get flavour profiles, use something like lemonade is what we suggest. Um, but, you know, we're not too fast. And the other thing is we spritz with water on all of our proteins. We don't have special fancy spritzes for anything. So we only ever use water these days. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, we – do you know what it is? We – we found it made it a little bit inconsistent in the sense that if you've got, say, even a pickle, like pickle brine, mm-hmm. that's got some sort of sugar in it or whatever, so that can impart flavour when it caramelises and you can't really control the consistency between cooks. Um, mm. So it's adding different flavours that, you know, we might not necessarily want in on other proteins or on that protein at that time. So using water allows us just to moisten the meat. Cool. Um, so, and the other, the other thing, for some proteins, we will use you know something like a beer or whatever. But again, that's how we're feeling on the day, not necessarily a hard and fast rule. So, what we do is um, from there we wrap them tight. Um, and to describe how we wrap, we wrap it in a, in a way. First, we'll um, we'll wrap the lengthways. So we'll wrap one lengthways side over. Then we'll actually f- we'll fold that back on itself so that it's only just covering the rib. Um, and then we'll fold the other side lengthways over and, again, wrap that backwards over itself so it's just covering the once it's on the other edge of the rib. And what that means is when you open it, it's easy to check your ribs. So, ah. then, so then when you get to the shorter ends or, you know, the longer pieces of foil, we then just fold those directly over um, and then it's literally just – opening up that wrap quite easily to check as you go through the cook. So we do, we do that for each rub, uh, for, sorry, for each rib. Um, and then from there we'll, um, we'll actually put the water pan back in the Fornetto. And what that does is it creates uh, one heat sink. We don't put any water in it. Um, it's just the, the straight water pan um, with nothing in it. And then it creates a heat sink and also a bit of a deflector plate. Mm-hmm. And then we'll put all the ribs back in. Um, and then what we actually do is we cook for about roughly another hour and 10 minutes. It's sort of what we found is a sweet spot for these particular ribs. Um, again, we're turning the 
um, lid every 15 minutes. We're also rotating the ribs. So if we've got three ribs, they fit perfectly in on the top rack. Um, so we sorry, we put the rack back on and we lay them, um, the ribs, meat side down. And then what we'll do is we'll rotate the, the um, ribs, the three racks of ribs. So move the one that's in the middle to the end, the one from the end back to the other side and so on and so forth. Plus we'll turn the litter of 15 minutes and that just means it cooks evenly. Uh, and then from there, after about an hour and 10 minutes, we start checking for tenderness. Uh, the two ways we check for tenderness is we'll um, uh, effectively we'll pick the rib up with some heat-proof gloves and you can feel how bendy it is. Um, but also another way is to get your either a skew, usually a wooden skewer is a better test than a digital probe um, and put it between the bones until the resistance starts to be a little bit um, bit like butter or a bit bit less than butter, but not as tender as a brisket, but somewhere in between tough and and there. So you can test for temp. It's probably around 200 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe a little bit more. Then from there, once we're happy, we uh, rest our ribs if we have to, depending on the time. But we try and get as close to hand in time as we can. And then we'll just um, put our ribs on a rack. We, we still do and have for a long time made a homemade sauce for our ribs but when we don't we use a combination of the texas wizards glaze and uh loon booties i think it's called southwest's um barbecue sauce i've got a big gallon tub at back at sasha's warehouse i'm not can't remember the exact name but it's the um i think you'll find that you had a big gallon tub of it back at (laughs) yeah it's gone we we use it as well at home so um, (laughs) so it's those two sources mixed together um but we use it more as as a glaze um and then basically we'll we'll glaze we put it in a pyrex jug and we pour the glaze just over the meat side of the ribs so we don't put any glaze on the bottom of our ribs at all and then we'll put it back in the smoker for, say, five to ten minutes just to tack the sauce on and, and warm, back, warm back up if they've been resting. And then what we do is we pour the remaining sauce on the chopping board. Uh, we flip our ribs upside down. Um, so, so, again, meat side onto the chopping board, which allows you to line your ribs up and cut them how you want. So sometimes we find uh, you, can, you can cut bone side down and try and find the ribs, but the bones, but you're probably going to miss them most times. So we've, we put sauce on the board. We then um, cut our ribs, choose the ones we want by tenderness and juiciness. So if you pick up a rib and give it a bit of a squeeze, which we've got a video of us doing, the one with the um, most juice that's coming out and the one that's got the most sort of styrations in the meat, that's the one that's probably going to be the most tender and delicious. You can't take a bite out of all of them because sometimes you've only got six strips to choose from, so you can sort of tell by touch. Yeah, judges um, aren't going to be really impressed if they open the box and there's a bite missing out of each one. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, and I've been known, in, you know, when it's we're a bit tired and sort of just doing our thing and, it's the middle of handing times to bite the middle rib just because, you know, I've lost concentration or something. So that's, that's almost cost us a few times, but um, yeah, you, you got to make sure you got um, at least six ribs in the box. We like to stack our ribs, which, you know, we're no, we're no secret. All of our boxes get posted on Instagram. So that's the, the look we go for. But before we stack it, we'll choose our six or 10 or 12 or however many ribs we're going to put in the box. We'll put a, a coating of our, 
we'll put a bit more rub back on the ribs. Sorry, a bit more sauce back on the ribs because most of it's come off then from the board, but some of it's still on there, uh, which allows you to add a fresh coat of sauce, which is quite delicious compared to one that's been sitting in the smoker and tacked on. So you get that sort of multi-layered levelling of flavours. Then we'll put a nice um, dusting of our finishing dust on top. We'll give it a final spritz with um, some water over the top, which helps sort of set that glaze and make it a bit more of sheen. And then we um, we pack our parsley quite tight in the box and we use a spatula. So what we do is we slide a spatula underneath our ribs and then put them all in six at a time, five at a time, whatever it might be, all in one swift motion. Um, and that's sort of our – that's our technique. Mate, that is so cool. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I, I'm my, my brain's just rolling around now. There's at least four things there that I hadn't thought of before that I'm like, all right, next time I'm doing that for sure. <laughs> it was a bit of a long explanation, but that's that's the that's the whole process from go to work. It feels a lot longer on a Sunday morning, trust me. But it's uh, yeah, you can go back and and do it step by step if you like. That's what that's what I tend to do when I forget how to tie a tie or a bow tie. I go Google it and I just you know <laughs> rewatch it fifty times in a row to um, to learn how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I I can't believe that I'd never thought of pouring some sauce over the board and then tipping the ribs face down to to cut them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't believe I didn't think of that. that from. I don't know where we got that one from. Um, it could have been that Pitmaster series that's on TV or one of our mates could have told us or could have happened by accident. I, I honestly can't remember, but that's something we've been doing for a while and it just means that less sauce comes off your ribs um, when you're cutting them. Yeah, gold, mate, gold. Absolutely fantastic. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start to wrap this up then. Um, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming into the, uh, into the confessional. Thanks for being my guinea pig for trying out this new live recording method. Hope it hasn't been too, uh, too, too painful for you. And um, before I let you go, why don't you tell all the listeners where they can track you down on the social medias? Um, yeah. So the two main forms of social media for us, Facebook and Instagram, both handles are butchers, axe, barbecue, being BBQ. Um, and yeah, find us on there. One, they both link to each other and you'll find us loitering around on various Facebook pages, giving advice and, and just chatting and, and, you know, if you've got any questions, feel free. We'd love to, um, we'd love to chat all things barbecue all the time. So yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right, mate, I'm going to say it one more time. Thank you very much for coming on board the show and best of luck with 2020. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Oh, I almost made it through the whole episode without double pressing something. Damn it. All right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. So there you have it, family. That is Michael Trakovich from Butcher's Axe Barbecue. He's uh, he's come in here. He's told us a breakdown of the 2019 championships. We found out about what he's got planned for 2020. We found out about the Hunter Rub, the story behind that, the new rubs they got coming out the new team members, the audition process that they go through when they're building a team. And then he walked us through his ribs step by step. So that, that look, I'm, for me, that was amazing. So I'm, I'm really hoping that you got a lot out of that as well. And I'm going to say thank you to you as well for bearing with me. Um, as I said, I'm learning how to use a new mixing desk. So the first couple of episodes of this season, they might be a little jarring. Hope it's not too bad. Stick with me because it's going to make things a whole lot smoother for me for 2020. And it also does um, open up the opportunities for possibly doing some live shows at competitions because I can hook it up to a PA system. 
that could be pretty cool. Um, some big news coming up for me. So I'm heading back over to the States again in April, um, taking the wife and son over again. Um, this year I've been invited to present at the NBBQA conference. We're going over to Louisville, Kentucky. So that's going to be pretty daunting. Um, I'm a king of procrastination and uh, an imposter syndrome, so um, I haven't uh, really got my presentation nailed down yet, and I've, I'm literally down to, I think, uh, 11 weeks or something now, so I've really got to, uh, really got to get onto that and, uh, and, and do something with that. So that's the big news for me. We are heading over to Louisville, Kentucky. I'll, I'll be presenting at the NBBQA um conference over there, which is going to be a hell of an experience. And then we're going on a bit of a three-week road trip around through Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. We're going to go check out the Rocky Mountains and see the aliens. So uh, let's hope I make it back from that trip. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you for listening. Head on over to Facebook. Make sure you follow Butcher's Axe, follow Smoking Hot Confessions. I've got a great Facebook group over there. If you're not on there yet, come over, join us on that, Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community. And if you do want to grab yourself some killer T-shirts, I'm actually going to be entering them in the NBBQA T-shirt design awards this year. That'll be interesting. You can check them out over on the website as well, smokinghotconfessions.com slash shop. All right, I think that's about all I needed to say. So I'm going to say thank you very much. Take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.